Mark chapter number 9, and begin reading in verse number 42. The Bible says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast out into the sea. Verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life main than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one that shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith, shall, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name, God, that you would help us these next few moments. I realize that without you, there's no preaching. God, we need you this morning, and we need you to speak to hearts. God, there's an eternal work that needs to be done in this building today that no man can do but you. And I pray the Holy Ghost would send convicting power, convince those that are saved, and convict those that are lost this morning. And Lord, I pray that some soul will come to the foot of the cross and be born again, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want you to think about the scriptures that we have read this morning because in this passage there's many important truths. Jesus begins by dealing with, in verse number 42, the a stumbling truth as he uh, talks about those that uh, are offended, those little ones. And then he deals in verses 43 down to verse number 48 with a severing truth as he talks about the hand, the foot, and the eye being separated or severed from the body. And then finally, he talks about a salty truth as he uh, closes out this chapter talking about uh, the salt of the earth and how that if the salt loses its seasoning, then it's no more profitable uh, for anything. Now, when you think about these three truths here this morning, uh, the simple truth has to do with uh, those that uh, are those that are saved. As he talks about uh, that stumbling truth, he talks about those that are just saved. These little ones do not necessarily represent a small children, but rather they represent young believers, amen? And he talks about how that uh, he takes it very serious when someone offends a, a young believer, someone that is new in Christ. In fact, he says it would be better that a millstone was hung around their neck and they were cast into the sea uh, rather than to offend a young believer. That's a serious matter uh, whenever you cause a young believer to go in a different path or to stumble, just starting out in their Christian life. And then when he did deals with this severing truth here. Uh, he talks about those that are both saved uh, and those that are sinners, amen? He tells us when it comes to the hand, the foot, the eye, what he is talking about is those things are, are the gateway that lead into sin, amen? It is our hands uh, that represent the things that we do and our feet is what takes us the places that we go and our eye is what we behold, the things that we see. And Jesus says, don't let the things that you see and don't let the the places you go and don't let the things that you do uh, cause someone else to die and go to hell or don't let it drag you to hell yourself. Amen. I can tell you this morning there's nothing worth
worth doing out there that's worth dying and going to hell for. Amen. There's no places you can go that's worth going to, uh, to hell for. There's nothing that you'll ever see or that you can ever obtain with this eye, my friend, that's worth dying and going to hell for. And so he deals with a severing truth. Uh, all three of these represent sin. And sin is what takes men to hell. And sin is what ruins men's testimony. And he tells us that the only way that you and I can deal with sin is to cut it off, to sever it very swiftly and very severely. Isn't that right? You see, if you're gonna have to have your arm amputated or your foot amputated or your eye taken out, your hand, your feet, your eye, if you're gonna have to have one of those removed from your body, let me ask you this question. Would you like for that to be a very slow process or a very swift process? See, if I gotta have that hand taken off, I don't want them, uh, Brother Barnes, taking their pocket knife out and cutting it one nerve and one tendon at a time. That'd be a very painful, a very gruesome uh, process. It wouldn't be a very clean uh, cut uh, and it would be something that, that would, uh, would, would cause a, a damaging effect not only to the physical body but even to the mind. Isn't that right? So the way to deal with that amputation is to cut it off as quick and as fast as possible. Isn't that right? That's the way we ought to deal with sins. What he's saying here is that whenever sin comes in our life, uh, we're to deal with it very swiftly. We're to deal with it very se uh, severely. We're to sever it from our life. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, then he's telling you today, sinner, you need to deal with that sin that is in your life. Number one, you need to see yourself as a sinner. Number two, you need to realize you can't save yourself from your sin. You need to look to the Savior. Number three, the only one is a son of hell. Do you know the Savior? He's the only one that can take your sins away. Amen. And so there's a severing truth and then there's that salty truth and that is this, uh, that you and I as Christians, we ought to live our life in such a holy manner that we don't lose our influence. Uh, we ought to have a positive effect uh, on a lost and dying world. And when I say a positive effect, what that means uh, is that the way we live our life uh, ought to cause people to look at us uh, and say there's something different about them. Uh, there's something different about the way they live. Uh, they don't act like us. They don't live like us. Uh, there's something that they've got that we don't have, amen. It's that drawing effect, isn't it? And this morning as you think about these truths, in the midst of them, what I want you to see is Jesus, three times he mentions the word hell. And when Jesus mentions the word hell this morning, in this context, he talks about some important truths concerning hell. And in particular, he talks about the horrors of hell. He talks about the fire and the worm, how that is unquenchable and it never dies. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on this subject, on the horrors of hell. The horrors of hell. You see, this morning, this is not some figma of our imagination. This is not a, uh, this is not a fake, uh, a fable or a story this morning. And I would say to you and I this morning that this is none other than the word of God. But notice with me, it's the words of our Savior. It is not what I have to say about the horrors of hell. But if there was ever a preacher that preached the truth, if there was ever a preacher that told it like it was, uh, if there was ever a preacher that was a hellfire and brimstone preacher, it was 
as our Savior, amen? Because in this text, Jesus does something that's uncanny anywhere else when he speaks about a subject is that Jesus over and over and over, he emphasizes hell, but he doesn't just emphasize hell, he emphasizes the fact that hell is a very horrible place, that hell is a place that you do not want to go to, that hell is a place that you need to be rescued from. Jesus preached the horrors of hell this morning. I want you to notice number one in this subject of the horrors of hell that in verse number 43, he talks about the confirmation of hell. He said, but in verse number 43, notice with me here, he said in verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands, notice this, to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Now what Jesus does in this verse uh, and the verses following that is he confirms over and over and over that there is a hell, amen? Do you know what the devil wants you to believe today? He wants you to believe that there is no hell. He wants you to think that that's a myth, amen? I tell you, that's what the world wants you to think is that hell does not exist. Uh, they use hell as a byword. Uh, they toss it around. Uh, they make movies about hell. They make fun of a place called hell. But Jesus is confirming here that hell is a literal place. Uh, hell is a place, uh, my friend, as real as Chicago. It's as real as Atlanta, Georgia. It's as real as my friend Rossville, Georgia. There is confirmation that there is a hell. Amen. Say, preacher, how do you know there's a hell? Number one, the Bible says so. And number two, Jesus tells us in the Bible that there's a hell. I do not believe there's a hell because of what a preacher said, and thank God for preachers that'll preach on it. I don't believe there's a hell because of what my parents said or what somebody else may have said. I believe there's a hell this morning because that's what the Bible says. Now there would be some that would say hell's not a literal place, that it's just a type. Well, Jesus gave an account in Luke chapter 16 of a man that died without God and he went there and he told of that account of that man being in, the, uh, being in hell. And we know that that's not a type because in that story in Luke 16, he mentions names, isn't that? right and in parables and in uh, uh, types and in stories uh, uh, Jesus never gives a name but he mentions a man by the name of Lazarus uh, and he mentions Abraham uh, who was in that other paradise compartment there that was across that gulf from where that rich man was dwelling in that place called hell. I'm telling you the Bible confirms uh, that hell is a reality friend and if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ uh, I want you to know that listen you're not here by chance or circumstance uh, you're not here by accident but I believe the providential hand of God brought you here this morning and has given you another opportunity and is reminding you that hell is a literal place and you need to be ready to escape the damnation of hell this morning. There's the confirmation of hell. Secondly, I want you to notice in verse number 44, there's the conditions of hell. He said that hell is a place in verse 44 where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. We're living in a time when it's not popular to preach on hell. I don't suppose it ever was anyway. But when you think about this, Jesus tells us, he confirms that there's a hell in verse 43. But then he tells us the conditions of that place called hell in verse number 44. 
He tells us here that when you think about that this morning, he talks about these worms. And in these worms, he, uh, my friend, uh, highlights the pain of these worms. That it's a, pl- uh, that my friend, that worms brings pain. I thought about Brother Laddie's testimony. Uh, I think it was Wednesday night. Uh, listen, I just read that passage a few days ago out of Acts chapter number 12 where Herod made himself, a, they praised him to be a God. And Herod sat there and never did he uh, ever try to correct that crowd. And the Bible, Bible says that the worms came and they devoured Herod's body. I thought it was interesting what he said uh, that some commentaries uh, uh, say and believe that it took Herod five days to die uh, because of those worms was eating him from the inside out. Now friend, that's a very gruesome and that's a very painful uh, thing to think about, but that's a reality. Amen. Hell's a place uh, where the worm dieth not. It talks about the pain of these worms. Uh, It talks about the permanency of these worms. Uh, These are worms that are never going to die somehow just like the souls of men that go there they've got a body that lives eternal and they live in that fire they live in that darkness they live in that blackness uh, and they eat the uh, the souls and the flesh of men that's what the word of God says Uh, it's a place uh, where the worm dieth not what's the purpose of these worms it's to inflict pain on the souls and the body of men I do not know what kind of a body a man has when he goes to hell. But according to the Bible, when a person dies, we know their body goes in the grave. Their soul and spirit goes to be with God if they're saved, but if it's lost, it goes into that eternal damnation. Isn't that right? But if you think about Luke chapter 16, that rich man is in hell and he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and he cries and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Now watch this. He said, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So obviously uh, Lazarus had a body and obviously the rich man had a body he felt the pain of the torment on his tongue. It was an eternal body. It was somebody that he was experiencing. It was a, a body of death that he had uh, that was given to him at the moment. You see, we're not just spirits floating around somewhere out there trying to figure out where we're at. Uh, I'm telling you, when you go to heaven, you'll have, an, you'll have a heavenly body. Isn't that right? When you, if you die and go to hell, you'll have, a, you'll have a, a body in hell. You'll have a body that the Bible says that will suffer pain. Uh, you say, preacher, are you making that up? No, it's in the Bible. You can read it for you yourself. It's in Luke 16. Uh, listen, uh, Abraham had, or Lazarus had a finger and he had a tongue and he felt and he could see. And he had all of his senses in hell. What I'm saying to you this morning uh, is that there's a confirmation, but the conditions of hell is that it's a place of torments uh, and it's a place of pain uh, and it's a place of agony. Amen. Now here's the question. Why would a loving God allow anyone to go to hell? I would say this morning that a loving God has done everything possible to keep the souls of men out of hell. The truth of the matter is God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Hell was not created for sinful man. Matthew 25, 41 says this, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, God didn't prepare hell for you and I. He prepared it for the devil and for his angels. The Bible tells us that. But because Adam chose to sin in the garden and he plunged all of humanity, that sin and caused a sinful race. Now, man was destined to, to die and to go to that place of sin, that place of damnation, that place of hell. But God in his mercy and God in his love loved man so much that he wanted to redeem man and rescue man. But it required 
required blood to be shed. He required blood to be shed of one uh, that knew no sin, one that didn't have sin in its veins. Uh, well, that marks every one of us off. Uh, it marks everyone else uh, from Adam all the way down to the last man, woman, boy, and girl that would ever be born. Uh, and the only one qualified, uh, angels were not qualified to pay that sacrifice. Uh, uh, the blood of animals and goats could never atone it for all of eternity. So God in his love and his mercy by the counsel of his own will uh, uh, before he ever laid the foundations of this world, uh, he and my friend in his own counsel, uh, my friend determined within himself uh, uh, that his son would go uh, and the son was willing to die because he had sinless blood uh, and on Calvary's hillside that day, uh, uh, Jesus opened his arms, uh, he shed his blood, uh, he paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, uh, so that man uh, would not have to go to hell, amen. See, God has made every measure and means available so that nobody has to go to hell. There's room at the cross for you this morning. When I think about the conditions of hell, it's a place of torments. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 50 said, and he cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew chapter eight and verse number 12, the Bible said, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, preacher, are you trying to scare me? No, I'm just trying to warn you this morning. I'm telling you, there's nothing worth going to hell for. And if I was in this building lost without God, I'd swallow my pride. I'd junk my religion. I wouldn't care what nobody here thought this morning. I'd make my way to an old-fashioned altar. I'd bow my head and bend my knee. I'd cry out to God while the God of, God of all grace and mercy would save my never-dying soul. He'll do it this morning, friend. If you'll come by way of the cross and the shed blood of Calvary, you can be free from hell, free from sin. He's willing to set you free this morning if you're willing to be saved. I see the conditions of hell, the confirmation of hell, and then notice this, notice the compelling about hell. Jesus takes it to another step in verse 45. He said, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. What I see in verse number 45 is that Jesus takes it a step further. He's not, he's not gonna stop talking about hell. He keeps compelling. He keeps compelling. Don't let nothing keep you from getting saved. Don't let nothing keep you in that pew. Don't let nothing keep you from coming to that altar. I'm telling you, if Jesus was here this morning, he would compel you with all of his mind to flee the wrath to come. There's no end of hell. Hear me this morning, there's no escape from hell once you get there and there's no exceptions if you die without God. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Gravely, I just feel like that I'll work things out with him. Friend, God isn't in the working out business. He's in the saving business. He's not in the working out business. You're not gonna get saved on your own terms. Let me ask you a question. If you gave the only son you had for sinful men, would you make any exceptions? I think not. The fact is there could be no other exception because you and I could never pay the price of salvation within ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough. We can't live up to God's measure and God's standard of holiness for who he is. God knew that. So there must be a way that had to be made. There must be a lamb and that lamb had to come. There had to be blood that had to be shed. 
Thank God it isn't your blood. And thank God it isn't my blood. It wouldn't have done any good anyway. I'm glad that he made a way so easy. He made a way so simple that all you have to do is swallow your pride and let go of your prestige. And if you'll humble yourself, if you'll get to the place, and I believe you gotta get to this place where you wanna be saved more than anything else. You gotta get to the place where you don't care what nobody in the building thinks. You gotta get to the place where you say to yourself, as soon as that preacher gives an invitation, I don't care what the whole outfit thinks about it. I don't care what anybody says. I ain't going to hell for nothing or nobody. I'm coming this morning the best way I know how. Oh God, would you save me? Would you save me? You gotta get desperate if you're gonna get saved. If you're not afraid and you're lost, you ain't ready. You're here this morning and you're lost and you ain't moved, you're, you ought to get scared about that. You say, well, it doesn't bother me that I'm not saved. That ought to bother you that it don't bother you. If you're here this morning and you're lost and you know if you died you'd go to hell and it don't bother you and it don't break you this morning, you ought to start calling on God right now and say, dear God in heaven, open my eyes. Let me see myself lost. Let me see myself for who I am. God put some fear in my soul. If there's no fear, one of these days you're gonna wake up and you're gonna die without God and fear is gonna strike you to the top of your head to the sole of your feet. There's some here this morning, those the gentlemen that I would speak about right now, a dear friend of ours, he's saved and in heaven this morning. But I saw yesterday at the age of 50, he had a massive heart attack and went out into eternity. Oh, he loved God and lived for God. Mother and father, godly people, he was saved. But just the fact that, that we knew him so so close and just somebody that I would never expect to leave this world at this time. But you know the, the truth is, none of us knows about tomorrow. We'll tell you in this room, somebody today could leave this world and step out in eternity. And that somebody could be me. It could be you. We look at the gray hairs and we say to themselves, to ourselves, if we're not careful, they don't have long. But the truth of the matter is they may have longer than you and I have. Brother, you scroll through an obituary. You look down through there. It's not a lot of gray-haired saints. It's not a lot of gray-haired people, I'm saying. But I'm telling you, there's young people. There's middle-aged folk. There's more middle-aged people than there is anybody. I dare say if you're living in the middle age, you, you got as high a risk of stepping out into eternity as anybody. There's young people. After you go to the graveyard, one young person after another, 16, 17, 14, nine years old, seven years old, uh, there's no guarantee in this life. Uh, that's why Proverbs 29, one said, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Uh, hey, friend, this morning, uh, uh, the only assurance of life you and I have is the breath we're drawing on right now and the beat that our hearts are beating this very moment. It could be uh, one minute we could be in this life and the next minute we could be in the next life. I want to ask you this morning, if you died right now, where would you be at this morning? The compelling. I'll tell you, if crawling to your pew would get you saved, I'd do it this morning. God isn't expecting a response from me. He's expecting one from you this morning. Well, preacher, if I was, I'm sitting on the end of a pew or I'm sitting in the middle of a pew, 
I wouldn't care this morning if I had to climb. I remember one, I remember one Sunday morning preaching in this church. A man about, young man about 19 years of age was sitting right where my wife was sitting and uh, was preaching and right slap dab in the middle of the message. I'm telling you, flat footed, it looked like he jumped over that pew. He didn't even make it down here. He jumped over that pew and fell out in that, in that floor right there, went to calling on God and got saved. And I'll tell you, when he got saved, it scared some other people to death that was lost and they got saved. That's the way it ought to be. Isn't that right? You know what that boy said? He couldn't take it no longer. He read God pull. I'm going to tell you something. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. God shows you you're lost. He shows you you need to be saved. You ought to bless his name for that. People live and die and go to hell and reject God and never think about God in their mind, their conscience. The fact that he's captivated your mind and troubled your heart and spoke to your spirit this morning, that ought to be enough for you to get up from where you're at right now and say, come hell or high water, sink or swim. I don't want to die without Jesus Christ. I want to get saved by the grace of God this morning. Now see, there's the casting into hell, verse 47. Notice the Bible said in the latter part that having two eyes, notice this, to be cast into hellfire. You know what that means? That means that if you die without Jesus, friend, there is no escape. You can reject Christ, but against your own will, you'll be cast in the fiery pits of hell. I think about the lake of fire. The Bible said in Revelation 20 that death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. The Bible says, and whosoever's name, verse 15, was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's burning with fire and brimstone. It's going to be a terrible day, isn't it? In a world that's drunk on entertainment and worldliness, I want to stop and say this this morning. This is, this is Sunday to me. But to the world, it is Super Bowl Sunday. I don't have a problem with the world going crazy over the Super Bowl because they're lost. And if I was lost, I'd probably be doing what they're doing. It's the only thing they know. What I have a problem with is so-called churches that claim to know Jesus, claim to love God. They want to stop preaching and have a screen on Sunday. Now, if that bothers you, I'm not trying to be hard-nosed. I'm just telling you the facts. What bothers me more than that is that when you preach on it, it makes people mad. I'm talk, talking about sinners. Sinners will take it. They know it's wrong. It's people that claim to be saved and go to church that gets mad when you say something about Super Bowl Sunday. If you're right with God, that ought to not make you mad. You ought to want you say, well, they're trying to reach people. You can't reach people with the world. You reach them with the gospel, amen? And a watered-down version of a little lay-me-down-to-sleep prayer at halftime between all of that chanting and all that filth and all that stuff that goes on is not gonna bring old-time conviction. Hey, friend, if you think that pleases the Holy Spirit, you're crippled way too high for crutches this morning. And what I'm saying to you is simply this, uh, is that my friend, it bothers me that we're living in a church world uh, that is so adapted to this world. They, they may be salt, but they've lost their seasoning, amen? And I'm telling you, friend, that crowd out there, when they do go looking for God, they're not looking for a place somewhere where they turn the lights down low uh, and everybody gets a bottle, of, a bag of popcorn and sits around and watches their team on Sunday night. I'll tell you what they're gonna look for. They're gonna look for a hellfire and stone preacher and some praying saints uh, that still know uh, and still care enough for their soul to tell them you better flee the wrath that is to come. I'm telling you, friend, it's serious uh, business this morning. 
You say, preacher, I'm mad. I promise you, you ain't as mad as I am about it. It's a disgrace. It's mockery and blasphemy to bring it in the sacred house of God. And God help anybody to lay out on Sunday night and claim to be saved. I hope your team loses so bad. I hope they lose by 75 points in the first quarter. Amen. I hope they lose so bad that your night's ruined the rest of the week or the rest of the night and I hope your television blows up. Amen. You say, why is that? Because if you claim to be saved, you ought to have more godliness about you than that. Am I against you watching a football game? Absolutely not. I'm against you laying out of church and watching a football game. When people's going to hell. I'm telling you, it's time, it's church world. I, I, Brother David, I don't know if we'll have a handful or a house full by the time me and you get old. I don't know that. Because I'll tell you, the older I get, the less I care. I care about people. I care about their souls. But I don't give a thimbleful of care about people's little old feelings coming to church on their shoulder. And afraid you're going to say something. I'm just not going to never be politically correct. You can chalk that up. That's the way I started preaching and by the grace of God, I'm ending that way. I appreciate people that told, I'm glad preachers told me the truth and by the grace of God, I'm not worried about a paycheck. I'm not worried about a crowd this morning. I'll tell you what I'm worried about. These people in this building going to hell. You're lost without God. If this is the last sermon that I ever get to preach to your soul, I want you to know there's something more real than Super Bowl Sunday. I want you to know there's something more real. You don't got to play church, amen. This Bible's real and the Holy Spirit's real and there's a real heaven, there's a real Jesus and there's a real hell and don't go to hell, friend. Don't go to hell. Don't go to hell this morning under God. Don't die without Jesus and go to hell. Get in, get in, get in while you still can. Get in, hallelujah. Get in this morning. Run to this altar and get saved. Can you imagine standing at the great white throne judgment? We that are saved see people we work with. I went in a place, I was telling my son in law this week. I went in a place back home about four years ago. Now listen to me. Four years ago, I went in a place back home. And I was sitting there. It was a restaurant and I was eating and I saw a man looking at me. He was staring over at me. He was sitting across the restaurant. And I noticed that man looking and I, and I almost went over and talked to him, but I wasn't sure. I looked at him. I didn't realize who the man was or I would have went and spoke to him. And uh, I walked on out. Regret that so bad. I told my wife, I said, I don't know if that guy thought he knew me or, or what, but I, I said, he, he kind of looked familiar, but I didn't, wasn't sure. And three months later, I was eating, we was eating at uh, 
the restaurant. I won't call the name of the restaurant, but we was eating there, eating a hamburger. And I knew that this friend of mine that I went to school with, grew up together, I knew he worked there. So when we went in the restaurant to order the hamburger, I went and I said, hey, it's... Uh, because a few days later, I figured out that might have been so-and-so. He had lost so much weight, he was beyond recognition. But I told my wife, I said, that might have been so-and-so. She knew him as well. So in that restaurant, I told, I said, he, he was a cook there in that restaurant. And so I had been there for years to cook. And so I asked her at the counter, I said, hey, is so-and-so here? I said, we went to school together. And I said, I'd like to talk to him. And she looked at me. She said, he's, he's dead. I said, he's what? I said, I, I said, no, I said, I think, I think I saw him three months ago. She said, he's dead. I said, what do you mean? He worked there since he got out of high school. She said he hung himself about three weeks ago. I can't tell you when I heard that, how bad I wished. I would have recognized him. Never have that opportunity again. All that afternoon, I thought, oh, God, if I'd have just knew that's who it was, I'd have said something. I'd have gave him a track or something. Die without God. You may not like everything I said this morning, but I want you to know something. I care for your soul. I didn't say what I said to make you mad. I said what I said because unto God, we're going to stand, all of us one day, we're going to stand at that great white throne judgment. If you're lost, you're going to go to the lake of fire. If you're saved, you're going to be like me. You're going to see faces of people that you wish to God. You just had one more chance, one more time why we pass them tracks out and say go, go mark them little boxes and pass you know why because souls are dying what about your soul this morning our heads are bowed eyes are closed as we stand I wonder if there's somebody here this morning you're lost you know you're lost I beg you friend this morning would you come I I promise you, you're amongst friends. You say, Preacher, I don't even know you. That doesn't matter. I'll tell you more than anything, I want to see you get saved. If you're a lady, if you'll come, my wife will be down here. She'll meet you in this altar. Pray with you. You can get saved. If you're a man, I'll meet you down here. Pray with you. You can be saved. I wonder about it this morning. Would you come? Would you come this morning? Don't you go to hell. Don't you let pride keep you in that seat. Don't you let what somebody thinks about you keep you there. I'm telling you, if I was lost this morning, I wouldn't put it off. I wonder if there'd be somebody. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking but me and the Lord. I wonder if there'd be somebody. You'd raise your hand and say, Preacher, I know I'm not saved, and I don't want you to embarrass me, but I, I do want you to pray for me. Would you remember me in prayer? If you'll slip your hand up and put it down, I want to pray for you. Would there be one this morning? Member or visitor? I see that hand. I wonder if there'd be another. Would there be another? Preacher, I know I'm not saved and I don't want to go to hell. 
Would you pray for me? Don't you care enough for your soul? Don't you care enough for your soul to let some preacher pray for you? Unto God, you don't know him. I wonder if it would be somebody else. Preacher, I'm not saved. Pray for me. Would you admit it this morning? Would you admit it this morning? I'm not saved. I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. Would you, would you pray for me, Brother Gravely? Come on. If you lifted your hand and you know you're lost, would you step out and accept Jesus as your Savior? If you'll just come, I'll meet you right here in this altar. You're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. Preacher, I got time. No, you may not have another service. If God is speaking to you, humble yourself. Come on.